If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older. Or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a Midi clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. What's up, everybody? We are live with the Osmo.com FanDuel Show, week 15 edition. I am your host, Matt Gajeski. I am here with Kyle Dvorak. You can follow me on Twitter at Matt underscore Gajeski. You can follow him at Kyle Tweets here. Before we get started, guys, hit that thumbs up button, subscribe to the channel, and hit that notification bell so you know when this and all other content goes live at Osmo. And it is the best way to support Kyle, myself, and the entire Osmo crew. Today, we are talking all things FanDuel. As usual, the Thursday show, Kyle, myself, will talk injuries. We'll talk the FanDuel-specific show in a position-by-position format. Kyle, my friend, what is going on? We I can't believe how far we are into the season. It's just absolutely ridiculous how quickly this flies by. Yeah, it's going it's going fast, although like I, I feel like a lot of people say that. I don't know. I feel like I'm uh, – I've like – cruise at a good pace where it doesn't like hit me too fast but i also don't feel like it has gone uh like i also don't feel like it's dragged essentially i've been pacing myself quite well i've been treating it as the perfect marathon that it is and uh i I do think though once like the super bowl rolls around then i'll really be like it was just a week ago i know man and and i don't think we'll have the xfl to bridge the gap this year it'll be all nfl draft talk but i mean it's coming down fast and there's already teams that are limited from playoff contention there's teams that are already locked into playoff contention and I mean one of those teams the New Orleans Saints they're absolutely not rushing back Drew Brees and it looks like we're going to get Taysom Hill starting again this week I think that's the biggest piece of news we've received thus far it doesn't look like Antonio Gibson is going to play reading the tea leaves I mean anytime a team signs Lamar Miller I mean that's never (laughs) a good sign so I mean any other big injury news you're monitoring as we head into the weekend as far as the DraftKings and FanDuel specific DFS slates? I mean, we've got a few, but I feel like I know, relatively know what's going to happen in them. Uh, George Kittle got designated to return, but it's only because you get a 21 win, 21-day window when you designate a player to return that they actually have to return in. And there's what, three, 15, six, there's three weeks left. So there is no point to not do it. It doesn't like give us any strong indication that he plays I don't see any reason to rush him back. Julio Jones, their interim head coach, called him week to week. Uh, week to week is like one of the telltale signs that a player isn't going to play. So I don't think we'll see him this week. And then Raheem Mostert didn't practice Wednesday. That's typically, especially for players coming off injury, when we can say it's definitively not just like veteran maintenance, not a good sign. So I think all of those are kind of settled. And Ronald Jones, we've known about, uh, I think is another one that Ronald Jones is not going to play this week. Yeah, Ronald Jones, he not only broke his finger, but he went on the COVID list. So it's mm-hmm. all but certain that Ronald Jones is not going to play. And we'll talk about that when we get to the running back position. But to kick things off, we always start with quarterback and talk about ownership, specifically position by position. This week, there's not a ton of concentrated ownership, a little more than last week. And it's mm-hmm. really interesting to see. I think there's a little bit of recency bias here with Lamar Jackson specifically at least among the expensive quarterbacks. We have Mahomes. He is where he is. He's 8,900 on FanDuel. That's no surprise to anyone given how he's played. 
But Lamar Jackson, also very expensive. He's 8,200, and he is coming in with the most ownership on the entire slate at 12.5%. And that's pretty drastic for a quarterback. Of course, the Baltimore Ravens are taking on the Jacksonville Jaguars with one of the highest implied team totals on the entire slate. So my question to you is, are people overreacting to Lamar Jackson in his most recent performance, or is it warranted against a Jacksonville team, which is locked up essentially a top two pick at this point? Yeah, so I'm curious. I haven't checked DraftKings ownership in the past day, but this wasn't the case on, on DraftKings, at least when I checked more recently. It's not. It wasn't at least the case that I don't believe Lamar Jackson was going to be the highest owned player. So with that being said, I do think that this is a bit of an overreaction, a small overreaction. We have Lamar Jackson projected as one of the best values at the quarterback position, but given his ownership, like he should be like he's not this incredible value. He's expensive. His ownership says that he is the best value by at least some margin. I think he's the best value along with a coin flip of him versus Kyler Murray. You know, even Patrick Mahomes a little more expensive, maybe slightly less of a value. I know the Baltimore implied team total versus Jacksonville is incredibly high. Sure, I think he deserves to be fairly popular. Does he deserve to be the highest owned quarterback on the slate with over a 3% gap between him and number two? I, I think that is a bit of a stretch. It's pretty crazy. If you want to just parallel DraftKings to FanDuel this week, the top ownership at the quarterback position is very similar. And this isn't something we always see, but the top five most owned quarterbacks on FanDuel are all in the top seven on DraftKings and vice versa. This is true as well. I think the main differences here on uh, Lamar Jackson is the most owned quarterback on DraftKings as well. Okay. But I, I think that's a recent switch. One of the biggest changes I noticed between the two platforms is Patrick Mahomes. If we want to stick in this expensive quarterback range, Patrick Mahomes is coming in a little more owned on FanDuel compared to DraftKings. I think this is a product of salary restrictions not being just quite as strenuous on, on FanDuel. Patrick Mahomes at 8,900. He draws the New Orleans Saints. That's obviously one of the better shootout matchups of the week. If he comes in a little bit more owned on FanDuel, are you still willing to get to him on this platform? Yeah, I, I think I'd still be willing to do so because, like you said, I think his his adjusted or his upped ownership isn't necessarily a product of people on FanDuel for, you know, whatever random reasons just deciding that they want to play Patrick Mahomes. It's because we have the salary to do so on FanDuel. So when we are lifting that constraint or at least upping that constraint, I'm fine, uh, at least a little bit more so paying up for what I think is a really incredible quarterback in a game that should feature a, a lot of back and forth scoring. Honestly, I think his ceiling might even end up being higher than someone like Lamar Jackson because Jackson's game figures to be one of the worst games of the slate in terms of the ability to really, like if the game smashes the over, it's probably simply because Lamar Jackson got there on his own. He's not going to be doing it because he has to battle with Gardner Minshew. Whereas, I mean, uh, you know, for as much up as we may give Taysom Hill, they're projected to come fairly close with uh, with Kansas City, at least relative to what Jacksonville is supposed to do versus Baltimore. So when I see one of these games has significantly higher, I mean, many standard deviations higher of a back and forth shootout potential, I think that's a very good tiebreaker to go to on top of the fact that the ownership is, is at least a handful of percentage points ahead for Lamar Jackson. So if there is a quarterback to pay up for, in my opinion, it's probably not Lamar Jackson. I think he would be one of my least favorite quarterbacks to pay up for. Uh, maybe in line with, you know, a, a Kyler Murray, but Mahomes of the the popular and expensive guys is by far my favorite. I agree with you there. And it's not like Lamar Jackson's had this sound season at the quarterback position. Yeah. He's only actually eclipsed 200 yards passing in five games, I believe. It's yeah, five games off the top of my head. It might actually be four games, but that is not solid passing total. So if he's not getting there on the ground, he's really a detriment to your lineup. And when he comes in above 8K on FanDuel specifically, and the ownership is north of 12%, we don't talk about quarterbacks as being these heavily 30% on plays, but that's still pretty significant. And then you even want to factor in Marquise Brown might not play. I know he hasn't exactly been ruled out due to COVID. If he's a close contact, I believe he still can play. If it's something else, he's unlikely to play, but that brings him down a peg as well. And not to mention, it's not just Marquise Brown, but Proche, and I believe they placed another on COVID as well. Am I Boykin, I believe. Who? I believe it was Boykin. So that Boykin, would be yeah. receiver number one, receiver number like three slash four, and receiver number like five or six. Yeah, but that, uh, pretty significant still for Lamar Jackson. So there are concerns. Yeah. Outside of, you know, Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, and Patrick Mahomes, they're the expensive quarterbacks in the top five, at least on FanDuel. And again, this is mirrored pretty closely on DraftKings this week. On the cheaper side of things, 
Taysom Hill is someone who continues to pop. I tend to think this is efficient. Taysom Hill on FanDuel is 7,500, but of course he draws the matchup against the Kansas City Chiefs. And this is a matchup we've seen the opposing signal caller routinely thrust into elevated opportunity share. It happened with Tua Tagovailoa on his way to a productive day. Taysom Hill threw the ball 30 times last week. I think we could see another performance here where he's just forced into throwing the ball. What do you make of him in a matchup against Kansas City, assuming Taysom Hill is the starting quarterback? Yeah, it seems like the the path we're headed down is Taysom Hill as a starter. I kind of you started off saying you think this is roughly efficient. I think the pricing and ownership are both fairly efficient. Like I guess because we know, or at least my opinion is that the Lamar Jackson ownership is ahead of the field, there will be some inefficiencies. You know, if I think one player is overowned, there has to be players that are underowned. I think Taysom Hill may be a tiny bit underowned because this does look like a good game environment. I can't talk up Patrick Mahomes for the game environment and then not do the same for Taysom Hill, but Hill is projected to score fewer points like his team is projected to score fewer points, obviously for fantasy purposes, also projected to score fewer points. And one of my problems with Taysom Hill is generally that by playing him, if he goes out and scores two touchdowns on the ground and you've stacked him, you're probably losing. But then if you don't stack him, you're kind of just submitting yourself to the will of randomness saying, well, sure, he goes off. That's great. But now I just have one more decision to make in the rest of my lineup. I have to I have to pull the the slot machine and come up. What I don't know. I don't play slots. What is like a bar? Is that a thing? You know, three yeah, cherries or something. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's not a plus EV thing. I would never do it. But you have to get three of the same whatever one more time. You're just kind of submitting yourself to saying – if you reduce correlation, well, you're kind of just playing the game of, of I can out project you. And I think Taysom Hill has a good projection. He's like a top five value for us. But I think I, I run the risk of him playing well and either I don't stack him, which I don't think it is the best strategy, or I do stack him. And that stack probably has a less likelihood of hitting than, say, a Patrick Mahomes Tyree Kill stack or something kind of obvious like that. So I don't hate him. I, I might end up having a little bit of Taysom Hill. It's just that I, I think there are probably better spots that are more plus EV. Yeah, let's talk about that stacking idea you had for a second there. And it, I, I want to bring it up because we have multiple dual threat quarterbacks on the slate. It's not just Taysom Hill. It's Lamar Jackson. It's Jalen Hurts, who I, I, I want to get your opinion on a little bit later. But with this idea that, you know, when you play a dual threat quarterback and they reach their ceiling on the ground, it makes them difficult to stack. And it adds another level of difficulty to your decision-making process because you need to pick another piece from a different game. And in high scoring slates, I'm more okay with this than not just because, okay, well, there's likely to be another pass catcher that maybe outscores a certain stack on this particular slate. We are missing a lot of the immense total games on the, the other slates this week. Like we don't have the chargers playing Vegas. That's tonight on the Saturday slate. We have Buffalo Denver. That's a 50 point total. We have Carolina green Bay, a 51 and a half point total. So we have a lot of lower scoring games overall on this slate. To your point, I think it makes stacking a little more viable when we're trying to access that ceiling on a lower scoring slate overall. So I agree with you with Taysom Hill. Do you have the same opinion with a guy like Jalen Hurts, who is a very similar style of player? Yeah, so with Jalen Hurts, I think uh, like there are, uh, there are always a bunch of factors we talk about when stacking. One, I do think Jalen Hurts, and we haven't projected as one of the, I believe, three best values of the slate. He plays a team like obviously he's I mean, arguably, like after one game, we can say he's probably one of the four or so best rushing quarterbacks on the main slate. I mean, we have Kyler Murray, Lamar Jackson. I I don't really think there's an argument for anyone. Oh, I guess Taysom Hill, uh, you know, maybe three quarterbacks who project to, to have more rushing yards, given that we saw in a one game sample size. But we also have an incredible college sample where if you take away the, the sack yardage, he rushed for over 1400 yards in his final season. 18 for 106 or 104 last week was the line. We should project him to be like a QB one pretty easily based on rushing alone, but the Cardinals actually give up like the, the six most rushing yards per game as well. Like this could be a spot where he continues to take advantage of the one thing we really care about for fantasy his legs. And I think maybe the, the best thing about playing, you know, a stack, <clears throat> excuse me, a stack of him and I'll probably always lean Dallas Goddard is it doesn't take a lot for a Dallas Goddard to pay off. Whereas when I stack Taysom Hill with someone like Michael Thomas, I probably need the rushing touchdown from Taysom Hill, and then I need at least a passing touchdown, and that touchdown specifically has to go to Michael Thomas because if I play a Taysom Hill-Michael Thomas stack, and Thomas, even if he goes for 100 yards, if he doesn't score a touchdown, especially on FanDuel where touchdowns are heavily weighted, the, the Thomas aspect ha has completely done me in. Honestly, I, I don't even know that I need a touchdown from Dallas Goddard if he goes you know, six for 75. I, I think that kind of scoring line, if tight end is low scoring, I can probably survive that and still win a tournament. And if he does score a touchdown, I have smashed my expectations specifically because of his price. 
So the stacking becomes easier when it requires less for it to pay off. The Taysom Hill stack is, I think it's not bad. Like we've seen Michael Thomas top 200 yards, I believe in like two or three games with Taysom Hill or three of his past four since he returned. That's that's not bad. That's good enough. Like I think it's viable. I think the Jalen Hurts Dallas Goddard stack is more viable because of how cheap it is specifically. I agree with that 100%. You, we talked about this a little bit prior to the show. When you have these cheaper pass catchers, you just don't need as much from them to pay off. And at the tight end specifically, I think playing a guy like Dallas Goddard correlated with Jalen Hurts, you're hoping from not only a productive game from Jalen Hurts to Dallas Goddard, but you're more or less also betting on just a modest performance from someone like Travis Kelsey, who is really the only tight end we have on the slate, who I think could break the slate, maybe Mark Andrews, but I think more so Travis Kelsey. We just got a fantastic question from the chat, and it's about these rushing quarterbacks as well. So I want to stick here for a second. It's about Lamar Jackson and J.K. Dobbins and the viability of playing these guys in the same lineup because they are negatively correlated, but we're talking about two players that have a ton of upside with really high implied team totals. And I think this question could also be phrased in a way that would include Taysom Hill and Alvin Kamara, just these, these offenses that are projected to score a lot of points, but their quarterbacks are also a big part of the run game. So let's ice. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Isolate Lamar Jackson and J.K. Dobbins for a second. How viable do you think that is? I think in really small tournaments, it actually is viable. I'm not sure it's something I would do, given that typically in these small tournaments, you get one bullet. I think it is there are more plus EV lineups. Let's just say, like, you know, you build a a slate of or you build this set of, let's call it 20 lineups. And you think these are the best 20 lineups I can build. Obviously, there is just no, like, run calculation for EV. But typically, I think you can eyeball them and get some idea that, like, this is probably the the best EV lineup. And then you adjust for your, your, you know, the, the size of field you're playing in. I don't think a Lamar Jackson, J.K. Dobbins lineup would ever be the first lineup I come to where I'm saying in a single entry, if I have one bullet, this is the one I'm playing. But I do think if you're playing in, you know, some sort of like multi-entry, but still not large field contest, just capturing all of the points of the team that I, they, I believe they have the highest implied team total. If not, it's like a top two or three team total. It's absolutely absurd how many points. Yeah, they're number three at 30.5. I think playing for the event that you capture all of the points both by going with Lamar Jackson and J.K. Dobbins, is viable. I don't think it's the first lineup I'd come to because I think there are better ways to build, but I don't think it is an outright bad negative decision that can never hit. I just think it's not the best decision you can make. I think there's two instances where I would be okay running this out in large field tournaments. Obviously, price has to line up. Like You probably can't play like Patrick Mahomes in a really expensive running back in the same lineup. That's, That's not the case this week, but you get what I'm saying. So price Mm -hmm. needs to be a factor. And then I think you need a very high shootout game where a lot of points are scored, or if not a shootout, it needs to be a blowout on one side. That way, if Lamar Jackson passes for a few touchdowns, the negative correlation is at least reduced a little bit to J.K. Dobbins, and they can both reach a ceiling outcome. I also think this is better when an offense is condensed. So if you could tell me J.K. Dobbins was going to receive every single touch that Lamar Jackson doesn't account for, I'd be a lot more interested in that. But because Gus Edwards is a little bit active in the run game, I think this is probably a difficult situation to get to. I would be more likely to do this with like a Camara, I think, because his role is so crucial to the pass game. At least he's attached to Taysom Hill in some way. J.K. Dobbins is technically the pass catching back, but they just don't throw to the Mm -hmm. running back position a lot. And, And with that, there's so much running back talk already trickling into our discussions. Let's move over to that position. But before we do so, guys, hit the thumbs up button, subscribe to the channel so you can keep up with all our shows, DFS offers, giveaways, everything. Once you subscribe, hit the notification bell. That'll give you an alert when all the shows go live. And of course, subscribe. We're on our path to 50K subscribers. Hopefully we hit it soon. We appreciate all of you in the chat. So thank you for those of you that are active. Thank you for the great questions. It does help us a lot. I want to hop in. I I, I kind of left out one point that I... I like mentioned, but I didn't really explain why I said small field tournaments, because the thing is when you're playing against a thousand opponents, they're very unlikely that versus a thousand people, you find the near perfect lineup. Now, when you play against 200,000 people, given that many shots, the field will find a perfect lineup. If you can correlate 
to 80th percentile, 75th percentile outcomes where the offense crushes in J.K. Dobbins and Lamar Jackson, you can survive your players not all having 90th percentile outcomes. Honestly, if you can correlate the fact that you get to a 75th percentile outcome, when you're not trying to beat 200,000 people, it's okay. But when you are trying to beat 200,000 people, you need a banger at quarterback. You need the nuts at running back and the next running back and at every position down the board. Any amount of negative correlation severely handicaps your ability to get the nuts at every single spot. In a thousand-man tournament, that's not required. That's not the, the requisite to getting first place. You just need to run particularly hot across most of the spots, have some good outcomes, and beat the field. So in a small tournament, I think it makes vastly more sense. I don't think I would probably uh, ever really run that in a large field tournament. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. I, like I mentioned, I think in a large field tournament, you need condensed offenses. You need a massive blow-up game. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you're probably just running into a lot of opportunity costs. In smaller field tournaments, it makes a lot more sense. And we see this in like cash games. It's okay to take on some negative correlation in cash games in smaller yeah. field tournaments. So I'm with you 100% of the way. I was just trying to play that forward in case you were playing like the Millie Maker, what you would need for it to get to the top of the lineup there. So at the running back position, we already talked about basically a lot of the guys attached to the dual threat quarterbacks, but we didn't hit on really the chalk of the week and the running back position. It looks like it's going to be fairly chalky at the top on FanDuel specifically. I found this very interesting. It's, it's not Derrick Henry coming in with the most ownership. It is Dalvin cook again. And I think this is more a factor of price on FanDuel specifically. This is one of the big differences you'll see between DraftKings and FanDuel this week. FanDuel 10.2 for Derrick Henry Dalvin Cook, just 9.4. And that might not seem a lot, but when you're talking about those immense salaries, every single dollar counts. And I think that's why we do see Dalvin Cook coming in higher owned than Derrick Henry. I know you and I talked previously this week, we were looking at Dalvin Cook for leverage on DraftKings. My question is, on FanDuel, do you feel the same way now about Derrick Henry as the lower owned back? I don't feel as good about it. I think when we talked about it on the DraftKings con- Draft context, there was uh, still a wider gulf. It was closer to like 12 or 15% of a difference. Now it's like uh, right around 7%. Both of these guys coming in is very popular. I don't know if I would call it leverage as much because you're still getting a decent amount of ownership. And uh, you're, I still think you're. it's difficult for him to get there at his price. It's not impossible. Although I do think, I don't know, if you give me the choice between these two now, uh, I don't know. It's much more of a difficult decision. My, my gut instinct is that that 800 is still enough. And the only 7% discrepancy is still enough that if I have to choose one, I would go Dalvin Cook. But honestly, when we first talked about it on DraftKings, it was no brainer. I was like, oh, well, for cheaper and lower ownership, always play Dalvin Cook. Not really a question. Uh, in the context of, of the lower ownership on Derrick Henry, I think it is at least much more viable. Like if you're dead set on playing Derrick Henry, go do it on FanDuel would be my suggestion. I don't think I'm going to do it, but I understand why if you want to play Derrick Henry, Go for it. FanDuel is definitely the better spot to play him in because of this ownership discrepancy. Yeah, you think that's a good way to sum it up. And outside of price, it's the only reason to fade Derrick Henry is ownership. I mean, he draws the absolute, like, you couldn't draw up a better matchup than this against Detroit, double-digit favorite. It's Derrick Henry season, whatever that, I, I, you said this to me one time, there's like some nickname for Derrick Henry in December. December. Dehember, okay, I don't know what it is, but anyway, it you like you literally couldn't draw up the matchup any better for Derrick Henry mm-hmm. at this point, but you do run into a lot of opportunity costs playing him, and it's not just because you know you're taking on 10k salary, but at other positions you just can't spend as much. So looking at the other running backs outside of Dalvin Cook and Derrick Henry, we're looking at a huge drop off in price. Like there's barely any other running backs in the upper seven K's. I mean, just fading Dalvin cook and Derrick Henry, they project for around 50% ownership combined. If you just take a different roster construction and play two or three backs in the five to seven K range, not only are you knocking off half the field, if Derrick Henry and Dalvin cook fail, but you've just entered a wildly different roster construction where you can maybe pay up at receiver. So my question to you is, is that something you're more likely to do this week? We'll get to players in a second, but just from the roster construction standpoint, Yeah, I think I probably will. I think that's why when I look, uh, I'm trying not to anchor on my priors too hard or what what I had already been kind of convicted on because a few, a day or two ago, we really didn't have a ton of ownership. He was popular, but not this popular on Cam Akers. So I'm trying to separate the fact that now he's 25% owned. I don't think he is an incredible play. I think it's good. It's fine. I think of the chalk, I think he's probably the best of of what we'll call the three chalk, the guys over 20%. 
So if I'm going with a chalky running back, I think my choice is quite clearly Cam Akers. But yeah, I think that's generally just a, an approach of if I'm fading the expensive guys, I'd rather go completely opposite direction, go with the middle and kind of cheap guys and say, well, not only am I not going to have the expensive and popular running backs, but now I get access to the receivers that the people who play Derrick Henry and Dalvin Cook, they just don't have access to. They can't afford to do it. Or the quarterbacks in the same vein. If you play a Derrick Henry, can you really double, can you really stack a, a Patrick Mahomes? The price seems to say it'd be unlikely. So I think Cam Akers is, is decent chalk, but even then his price, I don't know, is he that much better of a play than like J.K. Dobbins for cheaper. So I think, yes, I am going to the cheap guys. The crux of the slate is if I go cheap guys, do I go Cam Akers? And I'm struggling with that because I think he's a really good like play. It all makes sense. He's a good value play. He's in a good spot for a running back. But do you, if you're going cheap, like I'll throw this back to you because I, I, think, I think I know the answer, but do you fade Cam Akers too? Are you fading all the running back chalk or is he like quote good chalk? It's, I don't like labeling good chalk and bad chalk. I, I think if you play Cam Akers and then you get away from Derrick Henry and Dalvin Cook, you'll naturally be a little bit contrarian by itself because it's not always who you roster in lineups that makes you contrarian. Sometimes it's who you don't roster. And when you knock off 50% of the field by not having one of those backs in your lineup, like it's okay to eat a little bit of Cam Akers and eat some chalk elsewhere. You don't want all 2% plays. So like you mentioned, Cam Akers, I think is some chalk I'm more willing to eat from just a roster construction standpoint. And it's not like the matchup doesn't line up here. Phenomenal matchup against the Jets. As far as opportunity goes, 22 opportunities, that's targets plus carries, and then 31 opportunities in back-to-back games. So everything is coming together for Cam Akers. As far as the highly owned plays, he's definitely someone I'm taking a long look at here. And I mean, let's keep it in this price range. So right now, our projections still have Ronald Jones projected as a top four. This will get updated throughout the week, as will all positions and all ownerships. I'm guessing with Ronald Jones expected to miss this game, we are going to see a price bump, excuse me, an ownership bump on FanDuel for both James Robinson and Jonathan Taylor. They are just 200 north and south. So Taylor, 7,400, Jones, 72, and Robinson, 7K. They're the direct pivots I see off of Ronald Jones. And I think their their ownership specifically will get bumped. Do you have interest in either of those backs? Yeah, so it's super funny. We've talked about a few times where I don't know if I don't know if it's a leak in our collective games because you and I play tournaments very similarly, or if it's the right decision, like the right empirical decision, not playing out on the field the correct way. But anytime I see a, a player at the price of James Robinson at his ownership and his team, I, I don't think they're projected to even score two touchdowns. I can pull up their, let's see. Oh, it's low. It's low. It's, it's okay. So it's just over seen. two touchdowns. It's 17 and a, and a half. That's not awful, but that's not good. Like I don't want to dedicate one of the, the few positions I get to play and like that much money to any player who if they don't score half of their team's touchdowns, it, like honestly, if they just hit the under, it could be one touchdown. If they don't score 50 to 100% of their team's touchdowns, they are a downright terrible play. That is a really difficult proposition for me to, to bet on. So I think I'd probably honestly very clearly rather go with Jonathan Taylor. If they're going to be similar prices, similar ownership, why would you not take the t- the running back on the team with a 29 implied team total? That's 12 more points you get essentially. And there are seven and a half favorites. The game script looks better. The the overall points look better. The price and the ownership are, are negligible. Jonathan Taylor, I think is perfectly fine. I think he's, he's right in that range. He's in that sweet spot of, I don't think he's egregiously owned. I don't think he's egregiously priced, but the spot looks really good. James Robinson is also both of those things, but the spot is really bad. So If you're in that range, like if you're one of the people who's watching and now you have to pull out Ronald Jones from your lineups, I would find the 200 to go up to Jonathan Taylor as opposed to going down to Robinson pretty clearly. I do agree with that. And this is really interesting to talk about because now we've talked about all five of the top owned running backs on the slate. And at least three of them were trying to fade for different reasons. You know, Henry and Cook, it's mainly a price factor. James Robinson, it happens to be his team totals very low. And he's gotten there in the past in this spot, but historically we don't see double-digit underdogs usually pop up for these massive ceiling games. So I'm going to give you an open-ended question at the running back position about pivots. Is there one you're looking to specifically, someone you're feeling that we gain a lot of leverage with on this particular week 15 slate? Yeah, so I think even though obviously FanDuel doesn't prioritize the the PPR scoring, so it's only half PPR, Alvin Kamara at 7,800, like he's not that much more expensive than James Robinson. He's not 
crazy more expensive than someone like Jonathan Taylor, but he is still a significant discount over Derrick Henry and Dalvin Cook. Like, I, I don't think, uh, like, I think he is still getting you to an overall different, even if slightly, but a different roster construction with that extra 1600, right? Up to Dalvin Cook and almost like, so what is that? 2000, 2400 up to Derrick Henry. So I think he still gets you in the vein of a different roster construction. And we saw last week, like I said, you know, PPR, half PPR, it's not quite as valuable, but we saw that Taysom Hill, when the team is actually trailing, is willing to throw to Alvin Kamara. He threw to him 10 times of which Alvin Kamara caught seven. I don't disagree that Taysom Hill is a worse, like uh, a worse quarterback for the Alvin Kamara fantasy goodness, but they were winning all three of their games pretty cleanly versus Matt Ryan twice and Kendall Hinton at quarterback. It shouldn't come as a surprise that I think even if Drew Brees had played in those games, it would have been, I don't know, four, five, six targets in those games. It wouldn't have been smash spots for Alvin Kamara anyways. Whereas this is a spot where they're supposed to be competitive underdogs. That is the perfect scenario to go back to Alvin Kamara. And I'm simply surprised that people didn't see last week's 10 targets and go, oh, he's still Alvin Kamara. Maybe he's only 80 or 90% of Alvin Kamara, but that's still Alvin Kamara. And at these prices, I'm totally going back. It's a price and ownership play. I think Alvin Kamara is better with Drew Brees under center. No question about it. But how much better? Not that much better that at this price and ownership, you should be fading Alvin Kamara. I like Alvin Kamara as a play too, for all the reasons you outlined. Another GPP play I want to highlight is actually one I'm stealing from you from something I heard earlier in the week you talk about was Clyde Edwards. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lair. And with the Chiefs, I mean, you're accessing the most explosive offense in football. And last week, Clyde Edwards Lair, 21 opportunities again, carries plus targets compared to just four for Le'Veon Bell. So it's, you're taking a stab on a very unsecure workload, but you're accessing a really high implied team total on an explosive offense. And that's really the only argument for Clyde Edwards Lair at this point, aside from very low ownership. So he's the name I wanted to bring up from the YouTube chat. We had another really good point, And this comes from kicks by Chris. He says, if we get Jeff Wilson, Derek Henry will be a lock. And I do think there's something to be said here. Obviously, ownership changes throughout the week, but Jeff Wilson on FanDuel specifically is egregiously cheap. We're talking 5,800 for a potential bell cow back as a favorite against the Dallas Cowboys. Now, that would theoretically open up enough salary to make Derrick Henry widely available. Do you, well, first of all, do you think Jeff Wilson would be a good play in this instance? And how do you think it affects the Dalvin Cook Derrick Henry dichotomy? Are you more likely to play one of them if we get the value in Jeff Wilson? I think I would still throw my my ownership because like what do I like what do I gain relative to the field by now moving some of my ownership to a Derrick Henry like the field unless I go like 50% 60% Derrick Henry I'm not really gaining anything over the field and I think my odds are better of achieving first place by instead of investing in you know those Jeff Wilson Derrick Henry lineups why not invest in a Jeff Wilson and expensive receiver lineup? Honestly, like multiple expensive receivers with the value you get and the expense that Derrick Henry is that I think I would be more likely to capture first place equity by continuing to fade Derrick Henry because, because his ownership is just going to skyrocket up. It's like, it's still doing the obvious thing. Like right now, Derrick Henry is a little less obvious because it's difficult to pallet the, the price. But the thesis for fading Henry does not change. It's that he needs to go out and score twice to really have a smashing tournament day. And he's probably the, the running back most, I mean, he's definitely the, the running back most likely to score twice. And the same thing with Dalvin Cook. Dalvin Cook's probably the second most likely to score twice. But if both of them don't score twice, 
my Cam Akers one score is essentially no different than your Derrick Henry one score, except Derrick Henry cost you thousands of more dollars. So I think I'd be much more likely to play a Cam Akers, Jeff Wilson lineup, and then roll out just a, an onslaught of receivers who have a ton of upside. I'm with you at this point in the week. I think I'm more likely to play Jeff Wilson and then like a Cam Akers and take a contrarian approach with an expensive receiver as well. I just think it'll lead you. This is large field tournaments we're talking. Of course, if you're talking cash game builds and Jeff Wilson becomes available, I think you do want to jam in one of them. But before we move on to the wide receiver position, we have a ton of deals and free stuff going on at Osmo.com. NBA DFS DFS is almost here. Well, preseason DFS is already here, but for the NBA regular season, it is coming fast. And we are offering $1 NBA access through December 29th for new members only when you use the promo code Caruso. This gives you access to everything we have to offer for NBA preseason DFS for the first week of regular season NBA action, including projections, ownership projections, expert Slack chat, lineup builder, and much more. Sign up today. That promo code is Caruso. It is just $1. We also have a giveaway tonight. It is Thursday night football, of course. The Raiders are playing the Chargers. And if you head to at Osmo underscore com, on Twitter and follow the instructions on the graphic. All you have to do is predict whether Austin Eckler or Josh Jacobs will run for more yards tonight. One winner will be selected among the correct guesses. Be sure to check out our giveaway on Osmo Instagram handle as well for a chance to win a free month of Osmo plus platinum. Again, for the Twitter giveaway, it is at Osmo underscore com. All you have to do is predict Eckler versus Jacobs who runs for more yards and follow the instructions on the graphic. Looking at wide receiver, Kyle. So this is a really interesting position on FanDuel specifically. We do have Michael Thomas as the most owned receiver. And I say that it's uh, not with a lot of confidence because right now we have nine receivers above 10% in ownership. So it's pretty spread out. And there isn't a single receiver above 16.5%. So it's pretty condensed. I think even if you just correlated some of the highly owned receivers with their signal callers, you could be looking at a fairly contrarian lineup. That, that for sure fits with Michael Thomas and Taysom Hill, but even our second most owned receiver is Robert Woods, and he's coming in at 16%, and I find this really interesting because Jared Goff wasn't highly owned, so you could take a highly owned Robert Woods, correlate him with Jared Goff, and have a contrarian lineup. Same thing goes for our third most receiver, most owned receiver, Calvin Ridley. Matt Ryan wasn't in the top five, so you take a 15% Calvin Ridley, you correlate him with Matt Ryan you're looking at fairly contrarian stacks right away, which is also another reason why I might be more likely to take a look at these expensive receivers. How are you approaching the top of the position? Yeah, that's what I thought too. I noticed that exact same thing is that like one receiver chalk, and this is generally true on FanDuel, it kind of makes sense. Running backs are, they just fit the scoring format better, but the receiver chalk is just nothing like it's going to be with the running back chalk with, you know, 16.4% Michael Thomas as the highest owned player. That is just nothing compared to the ownership we're going to see on Dalvin Cook or someone like that. And when you add in the fact that it's exactly what you said. Robert Woods is, sure, he's popular. You know, you're not gaining a ton of leverage on the field by playing him. But when you play a Robert Woods, Jared Goff stack, how many people, like just percentage-wise, are going to be playing that stack? Given what we know about Jared Goff's ownership, it doesn't seem like a lot of people are going to be doing it. Even Taysom Hill, who came in as like the sixth or seventh, I think, most owned quarterback, didn't draw that much ownership. So when you play a Michael Thomas, Taysom Hill lineup, you know, it's not my favorite stack, but I know for a fact it is going to be fairly contrarian and the ownership on the individual plays and our projections say that they're like good plays. It's not like I'm getting weird by playing a Sam Darnold, Jeff will or a Jeff, uh, Jeff Smith stack. Like I'm doing something that still projects. Well, I'm just doing it at far less ownership than a lineup that has Dalvin cook who also projects well, no doubt, but he has a ton of ownership. Whereas my good projection just has less ownership. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I like that strategy a lot. And the Rams in particular are a team that stand out to me from a stacking perspective. We've seen this numerous times against the Jets. So the Chiefs are one that stand out from a few weeks ago where, you know, people are always concerned about blowouts. I don't think they should be because obviously if you get to a blowout situation, the starters likely had something to do with that. But a lot of times they just play the running back. It's okay. We got to play the runner against the Jets. And obviously that projects well with these teams generally favored by more than two touchdowns. So Cam Akers is a phenomenal play. But what if they just get it done through the pass game? That happened with the Chiefs. It's happened on numerous occasions. Las Vegas had a blow-up game against the Jets. What if it is Jared Goff to Robert Woods or Cooper Cup? And they're coming in, while it's not extremely owned, 
decent ownership, but 16 and 11.9% for the two of them. That's certainly something I'm interested in. And especially if it's correlated with Jared Goff, I think that makes a lot of sense. Another thing I found interesting at the wide receiver position, unlike running back, the two most owned players at this position are a little bit underpriced. We're talking Michael Thomas at 7K, Robert yeah, Woods at 7.4K. So. Michael, like it feels weird. I know, like I know, it's you know, obviously we have so much new data to work with on this season. But Michael Thomas at seven K, that is a very cheap price for one of the best receiver seasons from last year we've ever seen. Yeah, and I, it's interesting because at running back, like the highly owned plays are the expensive plays. But yeah. I have to scroll down a little bit to find Tyreek Hill at nine point three K. He's just north of ten percent ownership. So if you want to take the approach and play a Jeff Wilson and a Cam Akers and then do a Mahomes Tyreek Hill stack. Sure, it's expensive, but it's honestly not coming in with that much ownership. Tyreek Hill, 9.3K is only 10.9% ownership. And for a guy with his ceiling, I think that's a little bit under-owned, honestly. Do you feel the same way? Yeah, absolutely. I feel that way with a lot of the mid to expensive guys. Adam Thielen at 7,500 and Justin Jefferson at almost the exact same price are both in that same boat. They're not quite as expensive, so so maybe you don't gain that same kind of, of leverage in terms of price but my guess is the fact that people are paying 10k for derrick henry means they're going to be focusing on some of the the relatively cheap guys you know Devontae parker at 6300 looks likely to play he's in a decent enough spot he's low price you know the derrick henry lines are probably going to feature a lot of him brandon cooks at 66 just bumping that up about a thousand dollars is going to start putting you in a range that people cannot play these guys so i love the the tyreek hill patrick mahomes call i think playing one of especially now that dalvin cook is up as the the chalkiest running back just playing one of the receivers especially adam Thielen, because he gets a ton of red zone work but justin jefferson and Je- jefferson has been so efficient on deep balls that both of those guys have incredible scoring potential and those scores are simply scores that they take away from dalvin cook and on Fanduel, even more so like touchdowns are weighted more heavily relative to the other means of scoring so every time you take away a touchdown from dalvin cook by stealing that sick red zone catch from adam Thielen, that is a, a relatively even higher value you gain from that touchdown so I like any way I can pay up to that like seven and a half K North price for, for receivers. Yeah. I like that a lot. And you know, that is one way to be a little contrarian on this slate. There's, there's other ways to be contrarian as well. You can always find direct leverage within an offense. So these teams that have multiple alpha receivers, there's clear leverage spots that stand up. For example, on this slate, Cooper cup is coming in with less ownership than Robert Woods. There's of course the Mike Evans, Chris Godwin situation where this week Mike Evans is coming in with lower ownership, but there's also another way I find really interesting. And it's just targeting the alpha receiver that people aren't interested in. And maybe it's due to poor performance recently, or it's due to a poor quarterback situation. A few guys that stand out in this particular realm are Allen Robinson and Terry McLaurin. And I've heard you talk at length about Terry McLaurin this week. The chat has brought him up numerous times. Why is he someone that you're interested in as a potential leverage play? So one, I think you you said like the biggest thing is, is alpha receivers who people aren't playing. Like we know empirically that the best way we have to gauge future fantasy points is current volume. And, and only one other player has seen six or more targets in every single game alongside Terry McLaurin. That's Stephon Dix. And there's no surprise. Those guys are scoring a ton of fantasy points. You look at the volume and that points you in the right direction. And then if you want to make small adjustments, the adjustments look good. I mean, you've got the the Washington football team facing off against historically one of the worst pass defenses in recent memory over this season and the previous four seasons, no team has given up more passing yards. So the volume is there. And then any peripheral numbers you want to look at, they also look very good. He gets a great matchup. His team should have to be throwing because they're facing, you know, they're an underdog this game. So at his price, at his ownership, he seems like a guy who I am buying a ton of targets in a good spot and and people aren't recognizing it. So for, for me, someone like Terry McLaurin is one of the, better plays on the slate outright then you adjust for him having middling i don't know 11 percent, 12 percent ownership and he just further moves up the boards yeah i like him quite a bit and this middling roster construction is really appealing to me this week at least on thursday as far as an ownership and a leverage perspective and we only reference someone brought it up in the chat we're only referencing DraftKings on this particular show to give you guys an idea of you know some context around the slate and another contextual piece i think for the FanDuel slate is the value piece and we don't necessarily need as much value on the slate and it's reflected in ownership and i really noticed this by brandon Ayuk's ownership difference on DraftKings versus fanduel so brandon Ayuk comes in at 6.9k on fanduel i still think he's underpriced but he's not 
as underpriced as he is on DraftKings. And the same thing goes for a guy like Lynn Bowden, who's 5K on FanDuel. He's coming in with much higher ownership on DraftKings. And I just think this speaks a little bit more to the viable pieces in this middling range at wide receiver and running back on the FanDuel slate specifically, which gives me more intrigue in fading some of the very expensive running backs because I think you can build a very strong lineup sitting in this range. As far as other leverage plays kind of in this area, is there anyone else you have your eye on at the wide receiver position? Yeah, so I think this is another spot that I think where it's a little different, at least, I don't know, like we've had ownership updates, maybe it's not, but Corey Davis and A.J. Brown coming in with essentially identical ownership. I, I tend to lean towards the Corey Davis in this dichotomy because he's 1500 cheaper. Do. They see the same volume. Come on, people. I mean, I think in the games they played together, Corey Davis has seen more targets in a majority of those games. I, I'm not sold on the fact that he's the number one receiver. That's a bit. I don't, I, I'm not a hundred percent. Like I'm not, I'm more likely sure that AJ Brown is the number one receiver, but the volume split tells us that at best they're like one A's and one B's when one of them is significantly cheaper. I'll tend to go with that guy. I think both are good plays because they're low owned pivots off of Derrick Henry. We talked to, you know, it's another spot where the, the Titans are supposed to go out and just completely boat race with the lions but they have to get there somehow. And if the touchdowns just happen to come, you know, they're on the five yard line and they throw, you know, that, uh, that quick like slant type throw to a Corey Davis who generates a little separation. There you go. That is one drive that did not end with a successful outcome for Derrick Henry. And because there's no bonus on FanDuel for the hundred yards, his 150 yards, if he gets there, don't mean nearly as much because he didn't achieve the bonus along the way. I'm hunting touchdowns, and I think if I can steal those touchdowns with either of A.J. Brown and Corey Davis, I honestly like both. I'm just pointing out the cheaper one because their volume is close enough. I think if you can steal those touchdowns from a Derrick Henry, I'm going to continue doing so. For me, Corey Davis, but like I get it. A.J. Brown, also a good play, honestly. Yeah, I don't hate that whatsoever. Um, it's it's the time of the show, Kyle, where I talk about my favorite play, leverage play at the wide receiver position every single week. Do you know who it is? It's got to be Sammy Watkins, right? There's no way it's not. It's Sammy Watkins. I, I think one of these slates, I'm going to get a message from Alex Baker Osmo himself. He's going to be like, Matt, we're going to put it in your contract. Like you got to stop talking about Sammy Watkins. He's the only receiver that you want to play every single week. But in my defense, Sammy Watkins, unlike Miko Harbin, unlike Demarcus Robinson, he is on the field nearly every single play when the Chiefs are on offense. And this is a direct attachment to Patrick Mahomes at a fraction of the price. And it, it's not because we think Sammy Watkins is this elite player or anything like that. He's certainly not. Well, and he is, Well, we do. Oh, that, that is what we think. Okay, maybe you and I do, but other people don't. People, that, the more important thing is that doesn't need to be true for your argument to be true. Yes, it, it's a price play with Sammy Watkins. He's a cheap yeah. attachment to Patrick Mahomes on the field every single snap. So while he will be behind Travis Kelsey and Tyree Kill in most weeks in targets, you're paying for a cheaper stack to Mahomes at lower ownership, which is the main reason why I'm interested in him. Call me crazy, Kyle. You know what? Is this a crazy argument to make? No, I was going to make it to you if you didn't make it to me. <laughs> All right. So we're not alone here. Maybe people in the chat, if you guys are interested in Sammy Watkins, you know, like, let us know if we're crazy. I mean, I've been playing this guy every week since he's been back from injury and hasn't gotten it done yet, but there is still hope for me in my opinion. But before we move on to the tight end position, Kyle's favorite position in all of fantasy football and DFS. If you guys want to keep up with everything Osmo has to offer in sports and DFS, everything, follow us at the Osmo underscore com Twitter handle, Instagram, Facebook, check out our sports specific Twitter handles for sports that you particularly enjoy. This is one way to take advantage of our weekly giveaways. We already talked about the Thursday night football giveaway this week. We do them all the time. It is another way to find out what deals we have going on. So just follow all the social media accounts. Helps us a lot. And let's get to tight end. Every single week, we start out with a question. All right, do we have Kittle? Do we have Kelsey? Do we have Waller? Right now, we have Kelsey. We do not have Waller. And we maybe have Kittle. I still think this is unlikely that Kittle plays, but uh, we at least need to mention it for the sake of mentioning it. If Kittle plays, he enters this conversation just instantly. But right now, Kelsey is sitting with pretty high ownership, but he it's now being reflected in price. Like you have to pay an egregious price to get Kelsey. On Fandle, he is 8,500. More expensive than most wide receivers on the slate and for a good reason, because not only does he receive the volume that a wide receiver gets, but he is separating you at a position that just doesn't have the ceiling that Travis Kelsey does. 
So this ownership makes a lot of sense, but for the first time, we're seeing someone like Mike Jasicki rival him in volume. Mike Jasicki, 13% ownership, excuse me, 15% ownership. Kelsey's at 15.3. Is this gap wide enough where you're still willing to target Kelsey or has the price gotten just too far out of line for Kelsey? You're just willing to go down and punt at the position now. Yeah, I'm generally willing to go down and, and punt. I mean, it's not saying that I'll, I'm always willing to go down and punt and that all of my lineups on FanDuel on any given Sunday will go down and punt. But I think there's always a solid argument to the idea that if Kelsey goes out for, you know, 790 and a touchdown, my six, you know, 650 and a touchdown from Dallas Goddard, for instance, that beats Kelsey on a points per dollar play. Honestly, you know, it comes close on a regular point play. It's not that far off. And it certainly beats him on a points per dollar play. But I think there are some options, although this is a pretty egregious tight end slate. I still think there are some options that could push that advantage. Uh, I think of someone like a Dallas Goddard, who at 5,900 is, is dominating as his team's number one receiver. He's got like a 21% target share and a 24% air yard share since week 10. Those aren't Kelsey numbers, but they're not that far off. It's a lesser offense, no doubt. It is a lesser offense. But the price has adjusted for that, and the ownership has adjusted for that. So I'm willing to go down. It's not saying that I won't play any Kelsey, but I think there will always be merits to at least having some lineups that leverage the idea that Kelsey needs. He, it is a prerequisite that Kelsey must score at least once and go for 100 yards to even be in consideration to win you a tournament. Yeah, I I I still think I'll play some Kelsey just because he's the only one that has that upside and he could literally just bury the rest of the position. Uh, someone in the chat brings up Mike Jasicki saying that he is dealing with an injury and he is, he hasn't officially been ruled out yet. He looked really hurt at the end of last week. So I think we'll get word on this before the end of the week, but just more reason to check ownership throughout the week. Make sure you're keeping up with the updates that we have them every single day at Osmo.com. Alex Baker does a great job keeping up with these. So just keep your eye on it. They do change throughout the week. And the only tight end I really think that has the same ceiling as Kelsey is Mark Andrews. He's 6,800 on FanDuel, 13.7% ownership. So just a modest decrease in ownership and price here for Andrews. Without Marquise Brown, he could be potentially looking at an elevated target share. Now, I'm not sure how many targets that is against Jacksonville, but I think he's one of the few tight ends that actually has the same ceiling that Kelsey does. I don't think he realizes it as often, but are you willing to take a stab at Mark Andrews here? Yeah, I think uh, I think Mark Andrews actually has more multi-touchdown games this year than Kelsey does. I think Kelsey has one. Mark Andrews does uh, has two. I'm sure that Kelsey still has more, like uh, you know, 20 plus FanDuel point games because he gets a ton of yards and catches. And Mark Andrews plays on like a 1960s style offense. Not that's not uh, a good offense. They just they play a different style of football that is not as conducive to to pass catchers. It's been conducive to a handful of spiky touchdown games. But outside of that, it, it like you said, he he captures his ceiling less often. His ceiling, as I pointed out with the touchdowns, is not incredibly different. It's still a multi-touchdown game. It's probably less yards. But in terms of FanDuel, especially when the touchdowns are more important, that multi-touchdown game being within reach for someone like Andrews, where like it, it's you know, it's very, very distantly in reach for a, a Gasecki or even a Goddard, honestly, with his team total. It's very much in reach. It's more so in reach when they have a 30-plus team total, which is the case this week. So I do think Mark Andrews can capture a similar ceiling as Kelsey at slightly lower ownership. My only problem is that the ownership and the price aren't some drastic discount. If it was 6,200, 5% owned Mark Andrews, I would be jamming him in everywhere. But that, is, what, 1,700 right is not that much of an advantage you gain. And the 1.3% ownership, I think it is, something like that, is not that much of an advantage either. So, I mean, what do you think? I, I actually don't think Mark Andrews in FanDuel's pricing gives you some sort of ludicrous advantage over Kelsey. I don't think so either. I would honestly rather go down and pay for a different tight end that's maybe correlated with my quarterback. I, for all the reasons you mentioned, I don't think Andrews realizes his ceiling at that price and ownership maybe as much as we'd like. So I think I'd rather just get up to Kelsey or punt the position overall. And speaking of punts, in my opinion, it's a good week to do so. I think we have a lot of viable punt plays. One of the major differences between DraftKings and FanDuel, we don't have quite the same pricing floor for tight ends that we do on DraftKings on FanDuel. So a lot of times, not when Kelsey's 8.5K, but when, you know, maybe he's 7.5, rather than pay for like a 5.5K for a Jonu Smith or something, that's not Jonu's price this week, but you get what I'm saying. I would rather just pay up to Kelsey, but this week is one of the rare exceptions where I think there is a big enough price difference on FanDuel where I'm more likely to punt. Are there any punt tight ends down there that have caught your eye? 
I wish he was a little cheaper, but at 5,400 and essentially no ownership, we have him at 0.2%. Irv Smith, and even I know we have Kyle Rudolph projected for a little less than 1%, and uh, he did not practice as of today, I believe. So it looks, you know, a no Thursday practice is a pretty sure sure sign that a player isn't going to play. Let's just combine their ownership and call it 1%. At 1%, Irv Smith feels very live to score a touchdown, given that he really has no one, like he's competing with Tyler Conklin for, for targets. Obviously, it's not a team that projects to throw the ball a lot. But at his price, you don't need them to. You need a touchdown, and that's about it. You need the the 30 yards to go along with it and three catches or whatever. I think on a a points-per-dollar basis, he's one of the players, especially when you adjust for his ownership, who has a chance of outscoring Travis Kelsey on a points-per-dollar basis, to be clear. It's not that he is going to go out and outright score Travis Kelsey. But given the efficiency that his team has thrown the ball with, the amount of touchdowns that they have produced through the air – Irv Smith is very live to catch a touchdown, probably much more so, especially, you know, assuming Kyle Rudolph is out, then like I'm scrolling, he's he's like more live to do it than I'd argue Tyler Higby, Gerald Everett because of their split, Zach Ertz, who we have 1.7% ownership, that's 1.7% of people I would love to play against, like why, why are you playing Zach Ertz? He's more live than I would yeah, I, uh, he's more live than I'd say Jordan Reed, Hayden Hurst, maybe not Logan Thomas given his volume, but you get the point. In terms of touchdown potential, Irv Smith is the best of the crappy low price plays by a wide margin, and no one wants to play him this week. Yeah, I, I love Irv Smith, especially if Rudolph is out. I think he is one of the preferred plays on FanDuel specifically. As far as tight ends, I am looking to correlate with my quarterback a little bit. This is when we talked about at the big, very beginning of the show in the chat. It's Jared Cook. So that game has a lot of very expensive plays. Patrick Mahomes and Taysom Hill's not expensive, but you know, he's a quarterback, so he's not going to be cheap either. Kamara, Michael Thomas, Watkins, Tyreek Hill. The only cheap plays I think that have a lot of viability here in this game, of course, Sammy Watkins, who we won't talk about anymore, but Jared Cook as well. And if you're just correlating with the quarterback, maybe you play, this is similar to the Dallas Goddard, Jalen Hurts stack. If you did Jared Cook to Taysom Hill, well, you know what? That doesn't necessarily need to be a ceiling outcome for Jared Cook. If he scores a touchdown and gets 40 yards, maybe he just pays off his price and Travis Kelsey doesn't have 200 yards in the score. So that difference could be worth it. And, you know, the rest of it would be taken care of by, by Taysom Hill. Maybe he does a running, maybe he does a little bit throwing, but the cheap price on Jared Cook, I think is worthwhile to consider if, if strong, if, if correlated with your quarterback, anyone you're looking at in that range, maybe they're just a correlated tight end play. Yeah, I mean, I think Cole Komet is a little interesting at 5,100. He kind of falls into Oh, you're correlating that. with Trubisky, aren't you? Uh, I don't think Trubisky's a terrible play. I don't think I'm playing Trubisky. I don't think he's bad he, either. He's fine. I, like, I don't know. I don't have any strong takes on Trubisky. But uh, I overall think that that game is an interesting game because of the concentration of the offenses. It might not be the highest total game of the slate, but like I'm going to be getting in to some Adam Thielen. I'm going to be getting into some Justin Jefferson. Dalvin Cook's not a bad play either. Like I'll probably end up having some Dalvin Cook. And all of those, all of those games or all of those lineups, I want that game to score as many points as possible. So for that reason, playing the cheap tight end on the other side is fine. And like, yeah, if you want to play Mitch Trubisky with Cole Komet, like I don't think it's a bad play. I, I don't know if I'm getting there, but I, I wouldn't blame you for it. He's played well enough to, I mean, he's played well enough to win people tournaments. Yeah, no doubt about it. Well, before we talk about top stacks quickly, guys, we have about a hundred of you watching. Hit that thumbs up button, subscribe to the channel. Quick, easy ways to support us at awesome.com. And we'd really appreciate it if you've done so. Thank you for everyone that's left comments in the chat too. Helps a lot. Uh, Kyle, the biggest thing with top stacks this week, it's one of my favorite tools at Osmo. It tells us the percentage chance a stack has of being the top stack on the week. It also tells you what their ownership is. So you can gain some leverage based on that. And it also gives you a value scoring. Kansas City is coming in with the second, excuse me, the third highest owned stack percentage on the week. They're behind only Arizona and Baltimore. So that's pretty high ownership. It's 8.3%. However, they are far and away the best team to stack as far as chance of finishing as the top overall stack. And it's something we bring up a lot. A quarterback might be highly owned, a stack might be highly owned, but sometimes even with that ownership, it's just flat out not enough. It still could be very well possible that this quarterback should be like 20% owned and they're only coming in at three. And I think this is a situation we have with New Orleans this week. Do you feel the same way about that stack? And do you have any others that you might be looking at? 
Yeah, you said New Orleans is funny. I think uh, we have the New Orleans QB salary at 13500 Man, the price takes some hell up a lot. I'm assuming we scraped, uh, like the formula, scraped both the uh, prices of the quarterbacks. No, I think you're in the exact right ballpark. <laughs> That I, I would assume that's what happened. That's not. Uh, I don't think they priced Taysom Hill up to that much. No, Taysom, Taysom Hill is not that. He's like six point nine k. Yeah, I'm guessing they uh, that we just like scraped both quarterbacks and aggregated them together for whatever reason. No, I think you're right that uh, that like you talk about EV and like and like the odds of something hitting versus payout. It looks incredibly likely that that Patrick Mahomes and someone on his team are going to have a really good game. And does the field recognize how likely that is? Given our top stack probability, yeah, the field thinks Patrick Mahomes is good, but they might not truly recognize his greatness. So I think it is perfectly okay to play the chalk Patrick Mahomes, and I especially think that's the case because if you play a Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey stack or, you know, what have you, you have already – like I can't imagine you are not fading both of the expensive running backs. It's not like this slate is one in which we don't have a ton of great running backs. So the obvious build is Patrick Mahomes, two mid-price running backs – a single stack and, you know, run back and some cheap players. You are making a conscious decision to fade some very chalky running backs by playing Patrick Mahomes and a, a stack of, you know, Kelsey, Hill, whatever. So for that reason, especially because it fits a, you know, contrarian type of build, I think it makes a ton of sense to go to go back to Patrick Mahomes this week. Kind of always is the case, but I think this slate lines up maybe even better than usual. I agree 100%. Well, thank you guys. Of course, if you're not able to watch the awesome shows on YouTube or you just don't want to keep your phone open with the YouTube app. We are available everywhere you can find podcasts at the Awesome Podcast Network. We have a podcast for every sport. We're available on every platform, so check it out. Otherwise, shows coming up later, we have Live Before Lock. Kyle himself is on Live Before Lock. Kyle, what time can they find you? I believe that's going to be at 8.20 or is it 8.15? It's an hour before before lock, as they as they say. Yeah, five-minute five difference there. What If you come five minutes late, you'll just miss the chit-chat ahead of the show. I've been told by I've been told by what I assume is the voice of God will be live at, uh, at 7.30 Eastern. There it is. Thank you, Jordan. That's our producer behind the scenes. And we will be back again next week, same time, same place, for the FanDuel Week 16 show. I'm your host, Matt Gajeski. You can find me on Twitter at Matt underscore Gajeski. He is Kyle Dvorak. He tweets at Kyle Tweets here. Thank you guys for watching. We'll be back again next week. Good luck. Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.